Our reading today is from Luke 15. I'm reading from Luke 15, 13 to 32, the parable of the lost son. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered the wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a way off, his father saw him, and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let, let us have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine, who was dead, is now alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, they replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has come back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order. And yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered all your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But you, but we'd have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, is alive again, and he was lost and is now found. How about I pray as we unpack this part of the Bible together? God, our Father, as we reflect upon you, the Father, in this story, and how we are so like the sons in this parable or have the temptation to show these these attributes, these traits. We pray that you might help us to focus on you, to reflect upon you and so to be changed, to reflect your heart more and more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's uh, been uh, great going through this series on stories Jesus told, and each week we've kind of been reflecting on the power that stories have. Um, I was reminded of that this week. This week, uh, I think it was Wednesday night, it was one of those uh, bedtimes with two boys under five 
which was a little bit like, are we trying to put two boys under five to bed or are we trying to put two wild cats into kind of bed? And so it was chaos and it was crazy. And I ended up just saying, okay, I'll lie down with you um, and I'll tell you a story. And immediately there was this, oh, okay, you know, head on the pillow. But your head's going to be on the pillow. And, and so I told them, I just made up this story of this man called Peter and his best friend called Daisy, a cow, and went across and they ran into someone selling magic beans, would you believe it? And uh, the story went on for a good five, ten minutes. But the power to settle two wild boys that, were just engaged, captured the whole time. Two lost sons, if you will. And this story of Jesus is perhaps one of his most well-known. It is often known as the prodigal son story or the story of the lost son. But more accurately, it would be better, it should be better known as the story of two lost sons. Because in the story, what you will see is there is one son who goes off and is lost, but there is another son who remains home and yet is just as lost. Uh, About Thursday this week, though, I was sitting down and I was looking at my word count for my sermon and I thought I can either preach for three hours or I need to do some cutting and some focusing here. So I made the call, all right, I'm just going to focus on the younger son, the younger brother, and that of the father. So this story, this sermon, while I know there is an older brother, and I know he is key and important, if I was to do the series again, I would kind of reshape it, and I would make the last few sermons in this series, The Prodigal Son, the younger brother, the prodigal son, the older brother. Maybe we might do that in another summer series. But today, just so you're not kind of getting to the end and going, hey, Jamie, but what about the older brother? Or maybe you're getting to the end of the sermon and you're like, he hasn't even touched on the older brother yet and we're, you know. It is one of Jesus' most well-known stories the story of a father and two sons. And Jesus opens with this. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. And just so you kind of realize how shocking this is, what the younger son is asking the father to do, literally at that time your wealth is in your property. And so he's asking the father, I want you to give me my share of your inheritance and that will mean selling one third of the property, one third of the family land. And and this might not hit some of you, but imagine if your child said to you, hey, mum, dad, I want you to split this house into three and I want you to sell off that third wing, you know, like sell that off. Some of you are like, my house isn't worth that much. My friend, he is a sheep farmer and he his land has been generational land. And 
if I was to say to him, Tim, you need to sell one third of your land, he would say, chop my arm off. Because that's what you're doing. And in fact, the word that's kind of used here for estate is the word for life. Like, so he's asking literally for part of the father's life, for the father to divide his life up. Imagine if your child was to say to you, come to you in arrogance, mum, dad, give me my pocket money right now. And you, you, I'm guessing, would respond going, your pocket money? Like, this isn't owed to you, right? This is a generous gift. Now go to your room. Forget your room. Go to my room that I own that I so generously let you sleep in at night. And yet what is more shocking is... And it, and the father at this time would have been with, completely within his cultural rights to uh, assault his son here. And he would not have had to go to jail. He would be completely within his cultural rights at the time to chase his son out of the village with rods and sticks and exile him. Because what the younger son has said is, I want what is owed to me, I want your land, I want your wealth, I want your comforts and your pleasures, but I don't want you. I want your things, I don't want you. And perhaps the most shocking thing of all is that last line there highlighted. So he divided his property between them. That the father gives him his inheritance. He gives him a third of his estate and liquidates it. And he goes off, the younger son goes off in search of a better life, a life of self-discovery away from his father's rules and restrictions, his father's system and cultures. He thinks he will have a better, more fruitful, uh, a life of greater happiness and joy and pleasure away from the father. And... Unfortunately, I know some of you, this rings far too true with your own children. Not long after that, the youngest son got all together all he had and set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You know, unclean animals for a Jewish man. Complete, the lowest of the low. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. Uh, 
Uh, when I was in Fiji uh, with a program called Year 13, uh, I was chatting with this guy that I was living with, and he, uh, we were just in a local Fijian kind of village, and he said, oh, I've got to go out and feed the pigs. And we were in the middle of a good conversation, so I was like, oh, do you mind if I come with you? He said, sure. He grabbed a basket. He grabbed two buckets, and uh, he grabbed two buckets. I grabbed one. I didn't just walk freeloading. He grabbed one. I grabbed one, and we walked to along this bush track into the jungle where he had a pig sty set up with these pig slops, and... um one of the buckets, I kid you not, it was probably like this big for those who are live streaming, like this big, and it was just sawdust. Sawdust. And he poured water in the sawdust, and then he just threw some, from the other bucket, just some rotten veggies in there. Just like two handfuls of rotten veggies. Stirred it with a big stick and threw it in there. And the pigs went to town on it. And I just remember looking at that, the, the sawdust, like 90% sawdust, 10% rotten veggies, and thinking this is what the youngest son wanted to eat? Like I was like, how hungry do you have to be to long for that? And here he is, on the journey of self-discovery, seeking to live his best life, and he has found nothing but ash in his mouth. Alone and destitute, helpless and without hope. And it is in the pigsty that he remembers something. What is it that he remembers? He remembers his father's household. He remembers his father's home. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Firstly, notice this. Notice what he says uh, he is going back to. He says, um, "Make I will go back and I'll ask my father to make me one of his hired servants. Uh, in that time, uh, you had um, servants or slaves, and they lived on the property of the father. They lived on the real estate in the servants' quarters. And so if you've watched Downton Abbey or some other kind of period drama like that, you'll have seen this. Uh, and But a hired servant was someone different. A hired servant was someone that lived in a neighboring village that had to travel in during the day, would do their work, and then would have to travel out to leave the home again, to live elsewhere. And so what he is saying is he's not even worthy to be called a slave. He's not even worthy to be called a servant. He knows what he's done. He's not even worthy to live there. And so he will be a hired servant 
And so what does he do? He gets up and goes to his father. And I love here, I love here, I've never noticed this, but I love that it doesn't say he got up and went home. He got up and went to a person. He went to his father. That's what he was looking for. And so he gets up, goes to his father, and while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The idea is kind of like his father has been looking to the horizon, waiting, watching for him. And was seeing his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. That word compassion is the word that is most used in Jesus's biographies, the Gospels, to describe Jesus. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. In that time and place, Middle Eastern men do not run. Some of you blokes are like, let's bring that back. Children ran, women ran, servants ran, heads of homes never ran. Let me tell you why. Uh, during another time uh, in Fiji, uh, I was uh, I, I went to the the local church there, and uh, I was preaching there. It's really strange. You preach bare feet, but suit and tie, and uh, so I'm preaching there. And uh, you afterwards, um, you wear a sulu, so it's like a Fijian dress. Um, it's like a skirt with a slit down the side, uh, and. Uh, I have not worn many of those in my life. Uh, just on Thursday nights, not, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, reached after church, went out the back and played touch footy because Fijians love touch footy. So I'm playing touch footy with these Fijian guys. I step off my right foot and, and make a break through the gap, and I'm not quick, but when I've got Fijian men chasing me, I can fly, and so I'm running, and I'm running for the line, running for my life, and I score a try, and I realise, meanwhile, this whole time, I've been running with a skirt, with a slit down the side, and I've realised I've flashed pretty much the entire morning tea, and there's all these elderly Fijian ladies Giggling away. Middle Eastern men at that time did not run. Because for them to run would mean that they would have to hoist up their garments. To the point where you are exposing leg and some. And to do so was a sign and it would bring dishonor and it would bring shame upon you and your family. And yet the father doesn't care anything for this. 
he runs. He sees his son at a distance, embraces the shame and dishonor, and runs for his youngest son. And not just that, but he throws his arms around him, and literally the word is, he falls on his neck and kisses him. I don't know what you would be like after you have lived, worked, eaten, slept in pigsties, and then traveled to a foreign country in poverty. My guess is you're not smelling great. And yet the father just embraces him, throws his arms around him, falls on him, kisses him. Like, some of you won't even kiss your child if they have a cold. And, like, I get it. The father cares nothing for that. He embraces his son and his son's mess, whereas the youngest son cares for the father's things but not for the father. The father seemingly cares nothing for the things but just his sons. He does not care for the son's grime and his uncleanness. He falls on his neck and embraces him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, no, 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 here's kind of, I think, how we're meant to read this. This is the prolonged speech. And if you've ever been in an argument with your spouse, or with anyone at all, you know how this goes. Okay, you, you've you kind of got this prepared speech in your head for when you come back together. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me one of your hired servants. The father cuts him off. Like the father doesn't even kind of wait for him to finish his sentence. To wait, He doesn't wait for him to finish his speech. So, uh, Bring me, quick, bring me the best robe. Do you know whose robe is the best robe in a Jewish patriarch's house? The father. Exactly. William's got it. Do you want to come up here, mate? You get a brief second half. The best robe in a Jewish man's house is the father's robe. Bring me the best robe and put it on him. Bring me a ring and put it on his finger. And he's not talking about a gold ring. He's not talking about a silver ring here. He's talking about a ring. This In the ancient times, you had a ring which had the family seal on it. And it was the ring of sonship that you would use to mark your letters. And that person wearing that ring had the authority, the full authority of a son and the full authority of the state and could make decisions and could mark letters and could sign checks. Bring me the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. He doesn't have a ring on his finger. Get him a ring. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Most likely that we have prepared for the village um, ceremony of atonement. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us feast and celebrate. 
for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. A couple of years ago now, I uh, was meeting with a guy who was an Iranian refugee. I won't say his name because we're being live streamed. Um, he called up. He wanted to find out more about Christianity. And so I met with him. And over a period of kind of five weeks, we looked at the prodigal son's story. And we got to this part. And here's what he said to me. I, I wrote it down because he said, if the father here is meant to represent God, then he is nothing like Allah. If this was Allah, he would have been beaten upon return. Or at the very least, he would have been made to earn his way back through enough labor, through enough sweat, through enough blisters. And yet, even if he earned his way back, he would never fully be able to remove the shame that he had brought on himself or his family. He said this, What gets me is that this father delights in forgiving those who have wronged him. And he said, That is completely different from Allah. This father seemingly delights in forgiving those who have wronged him. That the father doesn't just accept him. The father doesn't just embrace him. The father doesn't just forgive him. The father delights and celebrates in forgiving him. This story is actually one of three, right? There are two stories before this. The story of the lost sheep and the lost queen. And in both of those stories, there is uh, the the person, when the, the lost thing is found, they celebrate. And And the point is, it's kind of confusing, because you've got a woman who loses a coin, and she then invites the whole village over to celebrate. And you kind of, I think you're meant to feel like, Isn't that a bit of overkill? Like how many of you find coins under the couch and go, Facebook, create event? Like, you don't go, let everyone know. Invite everyone over. Slay the fattened calf. And yet, this is the response of our God in heaven. This is the scandal of grace that the Father celebrates and delights in giving forgiveness. He is not begrudgingly up there like, oh man, I guess I have to forgive this fool, this idiot again. They have stuffed up again. If I had known this, I never would. No, 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 no. He delights in lavishly pouring out forgiveness. If we got this, if we really got this, wouldn't it mean that we would hide a lot less? Wouldn't it mean we would hide a lot less? Wouldn't it mean that we would not be afraid 
for people to see us really how we are, to see our marriages how our marriages really are. If we got this, wouldn't it mean that we would drop the act sometimes and stop pretending to be more godly than we really are? Wouldn't it mean that we would be more gracious to those who are needing grace from us at that moment? And there is great freedom, there is good news in knowing that you don't need to pretend to be more godly than you are. I am... I was listening to a man who was counselling this woman and she um, was sharing about her father and she said, my father never said a bad word about me. She said, everything that just came from his mouth was just things like, you're so wonderful, you're amazing, you're selfless. Everything was praise. And he said, wow, you must have had a great relationship with your dad. And she said, no, it's actually just the opposite. She said she's never actually been able to trust her father now. She said because all her life she has never been able to trust her father because he was always like, wow, you are so great, so wonderful, so amazing. And yet she said, I knew myself to be self-centered to be fast-tempered, to be a gossip and arrogant. There is great freedom in accepting and knowing that God knows the darkness of your heart, that your sin doesn't surprise him, and yet you are still loved and embraced. You don't need to be pretending to be more godly than you are. Spurgeon said this, he said, if someone thinks ill of you, don't be angry with them. You are far worse than they think you are. And yet, to know that God knows the depth and the darkness of your heart, that he knows that you are far more sinful than even you realize you are, and yet for him still to embrace and to say, slay the fattened calf, invite the village around. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He's lost and he's found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can never out-sin, we can never outrun the depth of your love. We can never out-sin your grace. And so we pray that you might so work in our minds, that you might so work in our hearts. Remind us of this truth, we pray. Amen.